0: Well, here it is, April Fool's Day, the first day of April 2001, and I'm glad you fooled the devil, and you're here in church, and many of you were here on time for Sunday school, and my, my, what a great time we had here in the auditorium, and what a great time is ahead as we continue to study the book of Daniel, led by our teacher, Brother our Coulter. So I hope if you can, you'll make it a point to be here and learn more about the precious Word of God. They tell me that up until the year 1564, New Year's Day in France was March the 25th. But since March the 25th, so often fell on what in France and that Catholic country was Holy Week, The church generally postponed their celebration to April the 1st. So the New Year, then New Year's Day, was officially changed to January the 1st. But still, a lot of the people called uh, New Year's greetings to their friends on April the 1st. Therefore, they were referred to as April's food. And so would not observe the change in time, and therefore we're stuck with this day called April Fool April Fool's Day. Well, I don't know about you, but through the years I've had a lot of tricks pulled on me, and I've pulled quite a few. Uh, I remember, uh, I remember that uh, famous one that you probably had to endure. When somebody said urgently to you you have, you, you have an urgent call from such and such a number, they have a box for you, and you call the number, and the number answers such and such a funeral home. Well, uh, that's always a letdown, I'll tell you. I remember a young fellow in college days, he had a habit of just coughing, just hacking, hacking, hacking. We had tried to have uh, prayer meetings in our room and Joel would just continuously cough. And uh, so uh, one day uh, uh, the health department came through and uh, they were giving chest x-rays to see if anybody had a sign of TB. And some of us fellas, uh, some of us, uh, got one of the letterheads out of that, uh, out of that mobile unit and we wrote a letter to Joe and said, uh, Dear Mr. So-and-so, we regret to inform you that your test reveals you have TB. And uh, we would like to see you at your earliest convenience. And we signed it. Joe got that and the next night he came running into the prayer meeting in the room And just so, oh, just so disturbed, he said, fellas, fellas, you got to pray for me. I'm afraid I'm dying. And we said, what's wrong, Joe? Why is that I've got TB and want you to pray for us? And listen, we could not contain ourselves and uh, just finally gave it away in laughter. But then we were threatened, I'll tell you that. We were threatened within an inch of our life. Well, uh, a lot of things come along uh, and uh, uh, deception, I guess, is a part of uh, April's, April Fool's Day. I want to talk with you this morning based on verse 7 of 1 John 3 where the scripture admonishes us that we are not to be deceived. Let no man deceive you. The biggest fool on April Fool's Day is the fool who fools himself. Think about that. The biggest fool on April Fool's Day is the fool who fools himself. Now the Bible has a great deal to tell us about this matter of being deceived or being fooled. Paul tells young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 that one of the characteristics of the last day is just before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says to Timothy, but evil men and seducers, that is, impostors, shall wax worse and worse they will advance, they will grow deceiving and being deceived. And there are so many people who are deceived themselves and thereby they turn to deceive others. It is like that statement of our Lord talking about uh, the blind leading the blind. And so we must be careful in the closing days of this age that we not be deceived. James as well carries on that theme of deception in James chapter 1 and verse 23. And there preacher James says, if any man among you seem to be religious, that is outwardly religious, And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. That man's religion is vain. It is empty. It is meaningless. It is to no avail. And then Paul warns in the Galatian letter words that we well know. And the word says in Galatians 6-7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Even our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 and verse number 4 warns us about the possibility of our being deceived, and he says, take heed that no man ...deceive you. You and I as sons and daughters of Mother Eve are susceptible to deception. Eve was deceived in the garden by the serpent, by Satan. And thereby, I believe there is something, call it genetically received or imparted to all of her children that we often are very easily deceived. For example, men are deceived through a strong drink. And the scripture warns us that don't, don't be deceived, for wine is a mocker. Indeed, there are many who are deceived by what the world and what the devil offers them. And the world and the devil plays an April Fool's prank on so very, very many people. Deception is a terrible thing, and yet more terrible it seems to us when we have been deceived. No one likes to admit Uh, No one likes to uh, uh, turn from his pride thinking, uh, oh no, you can't fool me. And I'm sure you have said that on one occasion or another. Oh, you can't fool me. You're not fooling me. But yet the truth is very often uh, we are fooled uh, and we are deceived, self deception. That is, when we deceive ourselves, that deception becomes the most dangerous of all deceptions. When we fail to recognize ourselves and what the Bible says about us, we are in the gravest kind of danger. Often we look in the mirror as James says in his epistle and we look into the mirror as we do into the word of God and we turn and walk away forgetting what manner of person we really are. Now, many fail to look in the mirror of God's Word. For this book, my friend, when you look into this book, will give an accurate reflection of yourself. But too many look into the trick mirrors that Satan sets before them. Did you ever go to a, uh, an arcade or to a circus or to the fair And they have those trick mirrors. You walk up in front of it, and if you are an an excessively corpulent person, that's a nice way to say if you're overweight, if you are fat, do you understand me? And you walk up in front of that trick mirror, do you know what it'll do? it will just stretch you out and thin you down and you'll stand there looking at that mirror in the greatest admiration. But if you are a skin, skinny fella, poor as Job's turkey, or like when you drink tomato juice, you look like a thermometer. When you walk up in front of that trick mirror, instead of your seeing that... Uh, Twiggy kind of individual, that trick mirror will just press you down and press you out. That's a trick mirror. But oh, how the world has so many of those, and people constantly are looking in those trick mirrors. Did you realize, and do you realize, that religion has trick mirrors? that many a religion today will just praise mankind to the sky and even in this new age movement of our day and in the philosophy and the teaching of what's known as humanism, man is deified as some kind of God. He is God within himself. One of the more popular charismatic teachers, Kenneth Copeland, Teaches people, look at me if you want to see God. He said, what is God like? He gives his own dimensions. Six foot two, 205 or 10 pounds and so forth. That is, that, that, is, that, that smacks of humanistic philosophy. The whole truth is, man, according to the Bible, if you will look at this book, my friend, you'll find a far different picture. We are often deceived in respect to ourselves. What are we, anyhow? Are we some kind of God? Are we some kind of deity walking in flesh on this earth? Is that what man is? Is he walking around as modernism and liberalism in theology would teach us that you have within you a spark of divinity? That man is basically good. And if you will fan that that spark of divinity, eventually you will blaze forth in the glory of deity itself. Oh, what trickery! And the biggest fool on April fools is the man who fools himself. Yet the Bible said, "Be not deceived." That is the Lord saying, "Don't deceive yourself. Take a good look at what you really, really are. Many times in our own self-delusion. We think our way is right. That is man's way. But you know what the Bible said about us? That all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Man turning away from God, turning away from the truth of the Scripture, turning away from God's house, turning away from simple, plain instruction of this book, we go our way and we think our way is right. We're like the fellow who said, listen, I may not be right, but I'm never wrong. That's a good way of trying to say I'm okay. In the book of Proverbs, uh, the 14th chapter and the 12th verse, you remember this statement of Scripture: "There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death." All oh, man can go along, and he seems like everything is all right. He's, it seems to him uh, that he is uh, on his way to heaven. That God has no kind of negative thing to say about him or reveal to him about himself. But what does the Bible say about us? Don't be deceived. Men are sinners. We are sinners from our birth. The Bible reveals to us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. However, men like the well-known Robert Schuler and the Hour of Power from the Crystal Cathedral says, and I quote a statement by him from Time Magazine, and he says this. Listen to this quote. I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence, counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise than the often crude, uncouth, and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. Unquote. Now that's the kind of deception that is abroad in our land. The kind of deception that says to man, why, you're all right. Surely don't believe these old fundamental Bible thumpers who tell you that you're a sinner. But if you are honest with yourself, and if you can be honest, you're going to have to say, Oh God, I have been deceived. I am a sinner. And a sinner needs a Savior. And so we delude ourselves in thinking our own way is right. We often deceive and delude ourselves in thinking we're better than others. Remember the story, Luke 18, of the Pharisee and the publican? The Pharisee stood in the temple saying, I thank you that I am not as other men are, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, give tithes of my possessions. I I'm not i I'm not an adulterer. Oh, hear me, this fellow was saying uh, I'm better than that publican. Listen, there's no man better than anybody else. And I'm not better. Now I may be better off than some. And I think as a saved man, as a sinner forgiven of my sin, I'm better off than the fellow who's never been saved and is on his way to hell could drop into hell at any minute. I think I'm better off, but I'm not better off because I'm self-made. I am better off because of the grace of God that reached down and called me unto the Savior. That's the only way I can say I'm better off. I'm not better than anybody else. And I want to tell you, you aren't either, but you can be better off. You can be better off than that man who lies in his own vomit, wallowing in a gutter in a drunken stupor. You're free. You're free in Christ Jesus. You're better off than the person who is addicted to narcotics or the person who is addicted to sex, sex, and immorality I wanted, or addicted to gambling. If you are a child of God and have experienced the liberating power of Jesus Christ, thank God you are better off because of God's grace. Yet it's not because of us, but because of Him. No man is justified in the eyes of God by the deeds of the law, Paul says. But we are justified by faith. And because of God declaring us just or righteous in his sight, we have peace with God. Not only that, but we deceive ourselves about sin. I want to ask you a question. What is sin? How would you define sin? I can almost hear somebody saying, no, well, that's, that's murdering somebody. That's stealing. Oh, sin is, is lying. Sin is adultery. I agree with you 100%, but that is not all there is to sin. That is but an expression of a sinful condition and a sinful heart. The truth is, sin is the transgression of the law. God's expressed will. And I do not just simply refer when the word says law, that doesn't just refer to Ten Commandments. My friend, there are more utterances in the Bible than Ten Commandments. What a wonderful moral code But I want to tell you, sin is the transgression of any utterance and command and will of God that is revealed in this book. How are you going to know the will of God anyhow? You know the will of God as you study and as you consider and as you read and absorb this precious book. You've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. This is God's book of instruction. This is his book that instructs us on how to live and what we should be. It gives the diagnosis of man that he's a sinner, but also gives the prescription and says that the answer to your dilemma and to your disease of sin is Jesus Christ, the great physician. I feel like saying a hallelujah at that point. Now, if y'all don't help me now, I may get real wild up here. So watch very carefully. What is sin? I've said it time and again, and I give it to you again. Sin is any violation of the will of God that is revealed in the Word of God. Prayerlessness is violating the will of God. Your failure to be faithful to God is, is contrary to His will. Even your failure to be faithful in God's house, the church of the Lord, do you realize that becomes sin? And yet many people lay up on the bed, even professed Christians and church people lay up in the bed on Sunday morning and Sunday night and still have no compunction about it and have no thought that it's said. Anything that violates God's will is said. No wonder then that every day of our life we have to claim his forgiveness. No wonder that every day we use that promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness then not only are we deluded about self and about sin, but often we're deceived about salvation. How is a man saved? Alexander and Thomas Campbell would come along and say, you have to be baptized. That's where you get saved. The Pope and the Roman church would tell you that you have to be a member of their church and have to be baptized and a part of that church if you are going to experience salvation. Others tell us unless you partake of uh, the mass, the bread, the wine, then there's no salvation. And as they said, there is no salvation outside the church, a quote from Rome itself. And yet there are many who are deluded about salvation. Some have the idea that salvation is attained by being the right kind of person. Others would say you become saved when you have the right position. That is, you, are, you, you, you are, have a position in a church and, and uh, perhaps you uh, practice the teachings of that church. But my friend, the Bible is so clear. Don't be deceived, folks. Salvation is in a person. And that person is not the preacher, not your mama, not your papa, not your husband, your wife, or your parents. Salvation is in a personal reception of Jesus Christ into your heart and life. 1 John 5, 12. Remember this? He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You could be steeped in religion up to your chin. You could be steeped in good works. You could be the kind of citizen that the law finds no fault in and still not be saved. A person is saved when he comes repentant of his sin and places his faith in the Son of God who purchased his salvation. We're deceived then often by sal- concerning relative and in respect to salvation. Often men are, they are also deluded and deceived and made a fool of in respect to the scriptures. I talked to a young man in Missouri. He was a young college student. And after I'd finished preaching, he came up very haughty and he said, You say that that book, the Bible, is God's word to us? Why, he said, I could write a book like that. I said, Son, only one thing I have to say to you. When you get it finished, bring it to me. I'd like to see it. Yet how man thinks that he knows the Scripture. I was talking to a fellow not long ago, and he said, oh, no, I can't believe the Bible. I said, why is that? Well, he said, there are so many contradictions in the Bible. I said, handed him my Bible, show me one. He was flabbergasted. There are many people who say, I don't believe the Bible, and yet they've never read it. They've never opened it. Yet so many would come even to think, Oh, I know all about the Bible. I don't need any teaching. I don't need any preaching. I don't need any study. I don't need church. I don't need that Bible class. I want to tell you, you're in sad shape. When you get to the point that you as a professed Christian faith, you've already learned it all. None of us have. The more I read this book and the more our Sunday school teachers read this book, I guarantee every one of them would say, the less I realize I know about this book. God's Word is eternal. It is unfathomable. You can't reach the bottom. You can't get to the height. You can't go around it. It is God's word. And yet many people are deceived when it comes to the Bible. Paul said to Timothy, Study, Timothy, to show thyself approved unto, not man, but unto God. In other words, God wants you to know what he says. God wants you to understand it. And he wants it so much that as a believer, he places within you the moment you are saying the author of this book. He places within you his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is the teacher of this book. Listen, if you ever pick up a book, And you have difficulty understanding. I'm not talking about any book at Barnes or Noble or wherever else. And you pick that book up and you say, man, this book doesn't make sense. And all of a sudden a man walks over and says, say, I see you're reading my book. I sure am, but I don't understand it. And the man says, why not sit down and I'll sit by you and let me explain to you that book boy would be you talk about getting an ear full and getting an understanding when you let the author begin to talk to you and listen friend the spirit of god will be your teacher but he's not able to teach because you hadn't put the material in his hand the textbook for the christian is this bible And yet many a Christian is deceived into thinking he can be victorious, he can win over temptation, and he doesn't pick up this book and doesn't read what God has to say. You ought to have a definite daily time when you give to God that opportunity to instruct you and speak to your heart. A lot of times we get the idea, well, I know the scripture. You don't have to tell me anything. I've read it. There's one thing, it's one thing to read, it's another thing to comprehend. It's one thing to read, it's another thing to appropriate. In other words, the Word of God, what you read in this book ought to be appropriated to everyday experience and every aspect of our lives. Not only that, but we're deluded often when it comes in respect to our supplication. We're deceived into thinking, boy, we, we really are prayer warriors. Some people believe, like the Pharisees, that they are heard for their much speaking. Some people, like the Pharisees, of whom Jesus spoke, and he said they think that they are heard for their much speaking, and they stand out on the street corners with uplifted hands and pray so everybody can hear them. And when they finish their so-called prayer, they wait for somebody to come by and say, Oh, what a beautiful prayer. Listen, when a little child is in trouble, he's not worried about beauty. He's so sincere and so in need, he cries out for help. The man who's drowning out in the river or out in the lake, listen, he doesn't worry about saying, Oh, thou who art the most beautiful person standing on the shore, will you in all the kindness of your heart throw a lifesaver to me? Oh, unless you do, I may perish. Listen, all you need to do is what Peter said when he started walking on the water and then started sinking as he took his eyes off Jesus. He said, Lord, save me. And I want to tell you as an unsaved, unregenerate person, one who doesn't know you're saved, God's not listening to your grammar. He's not listening to your poetic phraseology. He wants to hear the cry for mercy. And from the temple that day in Luke 18, he heard one fellow, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A thief was dying on the cross beside Jesus. All as he wasn't trying to paint some verbal portrait when he cried, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A simple prayer of the sinner, oh God, save me. Again, Lord, forgive me. It's not a formula of words. And some people have the idea that this fellow here and that was not saved because he didn't say the same thing I said. Well, the thief didn't say the same thing that the publican said. And Matthew didn't even say a word. He just got up and followed Jesus. That if thou shalt believe in thine heart, there's the key that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confess with your mouth. Believe with your heart. That's the thing that makes a difference. Let me close now. The fact is we're often deceived in our something. Supp- we think we've been a personal prayer because we've said at the table, bless this food, thank you for it. I wonder how many times we're really sincere when we thank God for the food. Most of us are in a hurry. Lord, I had not got the 20 minutes. Thank you, Lord. The whole story is often we're deceived. Then let me close. We're often deceived about the enemy of our souls, Satan. My friend, there is such a personality known as Satan, the devil. The modernist says, oh, there's no such person as the devil, just take the D off of devil and you've got it. There's nothing but evil. I will ask you this: Where does evil come from? They voted the devil out, and of course the devil's gone. But common folks would like to know who carries his business on. The truth is, people have tried to do away with the devil, but he hadn't gone anywhere. When you deny an enemy's existence, you have given him camouflage, and he will attack you. Be aware there is a devil. Jesus faced him, but thank God Jesus Christ defeated him. At every point of temptation, and that same Savior can give you victory in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have admonished us and cautioned us in the Scripture to not be deceived. And Lord, I know the devil's pulled a trick on many a person, maybe some right in our audience. He may have deceived some into thinking that because I'm a member of the church and Brother Burrell baptized me or Brother Webb baptized me or Brother Smith or whoever else, that I'm saved. Lord, help us to know that salvation's not in the water of the baptistry. It's in the blood of the Lamb. And may your Spirit now bring conviction. Take the blindfold off. Lord, help us to acknowledge that we are, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. May, oh God, your cleansing blood flow and cleanse us from our sin and make us your child. Now, Lord, do in this moment what you desire. If there are those who are unsaved, we pray that they'll come and bow here and receive Christ. If there are those who need to come who've already been baptized, and they know they're saved, and they, they want to become a part of this church, I pray that you'll help them. Remind them, Lord, that we do receive folks by statement or on promise of letter from another church of like faith or, Lord, if they've just been saved, never baptized, may they surrender to you and your will. Don't let us walk out of here today sinning, knowing what you want and failing to do it. Have your way for that child of yours who, Lord, has long harbored some Ill, some sin, some wrong in their heart. May they come today and know your forgiveness. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.